A great job announcing Dan. Uh, didn't you think he did a great job? He got all the points. Even if he did use a cheat sheet just like in my class. Forgive him that point. Dan, you should go into sales. You're, you're good at selling things. He's just, he's Mr. Slick, I'll tell you, it's great. It's really good to be here and to see all of you here and have all of you joining us online as part of our podgregation. Our podcasters are part of a podgregation. Uh, but before I get into this message, uh, there's a, a few little preliminary words I want to share. One is that, as you all know, uh, this is September 12th, and yesterday was September 11th, and that's a significant day for us. Um, a tragedy uh, that was really is, is, is altered, in some respects, uh, the country. It, it, it's, it, was, it was monumental. Um, and about that, I just want to say this, that you know, our, our hearts go out to all those who suffered a loss of a loved one uh, in, in this time, and we need to lament that. It was just a, a great tragedy. As kingdom people, however, we, we're to know that I, we're to have a, a love that is not confined to uh, nationality, and that's not based on merits. Um, we're to love the way God loves. And, uh, and so there's another dimension to this tragedy, and that is that it involved the, the death of some young men who were just terribly, terribly misguided. Uh, our struggles never against pr- uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers who manipulate flesh and blood to kill each other. And so, uh, you know, God, God will judge justly, and God knows the degree to which they're responsible. But our job is to have a heart of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Amen? And I just encourage us to have, keep that kingdom vision. As it's, it's a scandalous vision. Because so much of... of uh, Human welfare typically is bound up with nationality. It's an us versus them. And, and, and the part of your remembering the tragedy is where will we will get even or we'll get back. For kingdom people, our mindset's different. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Okay, here's the second pre- preliminary word. You know, when God blesses you in some way or does a work in your life or works through you, uh, that's a blessing to you, uh, but it's also intended to be a blessing for others. Uh, in, in the New Testament, there's a, a, a premium put, in, put it on testimony, on testifying on bearing witness to what God has done, just telling your story. And God uses the storytelling uh, to inspire others, to create faith in others, to motivate others, sometimes to challenge others. In fact, the Bible is one big story book. Stories have power. Now, we in the leadership of Woodland Hills Church are blessed by regularly hearing about stories. People write to us about how, you know, a teaching has just opened up a new level of relationship with God, or it's something about what happened here in the ministry of Woodland Hills Church really blessed them, and they tell us that story. And, and, and it's, it's really humbling and such an encouragement to hear from people all around the world about what God's doing, and it's just, it's just beautiful. We are feeling, feeling called to kind of give a megaphone to that. And um, so to that end, we're asking people to send in stories. When, when, when God does something cool in your life, especially if it's related to a teaching that you applied at Woodland Hills Church, uh, some insight you got, you, you need to testify about that. And so we want you to write out your story and, and send it in to us uh, when God does something good. It, it might be, you know, based on the recent series that we had sharing faith. You know, we talked about sharing faith. Well, you have a story about how God used you as you shared faith and, and it had a really good God-glorifying outcome. Praise God for that. Share the story. Or maybe it's about how you showed hospitality sometime and, and what God did with that. Hospitality to a stranger. How you maybe were listening to the Spirit to go this way instead of that way and what happened as a result of that. We're going to go into this uh, series here on friendship with, uh, on, on the art, lost art of friendship. And uh, today we'll be talking about friendship with God. And uh, it may be that as you're, you're, you're living in that this week or next week or a month from now, uh, God does something with that. 
Well, that's, don't just hog the blessing. You need to testify. Okay, so if, if you've got a story, you can make it as brief or as detailed as you want, uh, though we reserve the right to edit it if we're in whatever venue we're going to use it. We want to create an archive of these and be using them in sermons and sprinkling them into announcements and, and things of that sort. So, so if, if, if God's done something cool in your life, um, you, can, you can send that story. You can either text it to 651-321-3030, or you can email it to info at whchurch.org. All right, you ready to testify? Are you ready to testify? Okay, just be willing. The blessing's not just for you. So we're starting this new series, The Lost Art of Friendship. And there's been a number of people that have commented that uh, Western culture in particular is right now going through something of an epidemic of loneliness. I'm going to start by just kind of telling you the the felt need that drives this series. Uh, Epidemic of loneliness, and it's, it's pretty undeniable. I'll give you a couple examples. In 2017, they did this massive poll in the UK and found out that 33% of the people who responded identified as being uh, often or always lonely. And that qualifies as chronic loneliness. You're often, if not always, lonely. 33%. Half of those who responded who were over the age of 65 identified the television or a pet as their main company. It's kind of sad. As a result of that, uh, the UK uh, uh, carved out a new position in the government. The position is called the Minister of Loneliness. I'm not kidding. That's, it's now installed, the Minister of Loneliness. And, and her job is, this lady named Tracy, her job is to help people get connected, <laughs> to get less lonely, to find ways of having meaningful connections with others. America needs that too, and just like the Brits to be ahead of us in everything. They always got to, you know, they, they always beat us. We're always following. But, but we need our own Minister of Loneliness because the, the truth is, in the United States, loneliness is even worse of a problem. So in 1970, uh, 10% of folks who responded to this survey identified as being often, if not always, lonely, chronic loneliness. By 1980, that was up to 20%. By 2010, it was over 40%. And now in 2021, a new study just determined that 46% of Americans identify as being chronically lonely, often, if not always, lonely. Uh, that shows you that the pandemic here didn't cause the loneliness that people are feeling. It did intensify it, but it's primarily among those who are already lonely. It intensified that loneliness. But it didn't create this, this, this epidemic that we have. This has been a long time coming, and there's, more reason, there's a ton of reasons that, can be, you know, that, that go into this. You can understand it in terms of causation. Uh, I don't have time to get into all that. But the pandemic, this epidemic of loneliness has, has been a long time coming. Uh, the proof of that need in America is that we don't have a minister of loneliness, but we do have a new industry developing now. And it's an industry of friendship coaching. There are people out there who, I guess, are specialists on friendship, and they'll coach you on how to make a friend. Uh, what they're finding is that millennials in particular, people in their 30s and 40s, are just finding trouble connecting in, in meaningful and significant ways. There's so much a part of our culture, largely due to technology, that works against that. Now, the, the technology of our culture works really in favor of having a lot of acquaintances. No one has a problem with getting acquaintances because social media is really good at helping us do that. But see, the, the, the kind of friends you get on, Facebook will call them friends, but they're really not friends in the true sense of the term. Uh, it, it's, they, they're really just casual acquaintances. And those aren't the kind of friendships that are going to alleviate any kind of sense of loneliness you have. In fact, there's been quite a bit of research now that demonstrates the opposite, that the more casual acquaintances that you try to keep up with, the more lonely you actually feel. 
And you can see why. Because the people that you're meeting there don't really know you. They're not on the inside of you. You know, if you unveil some stuff there, uh, it, it's... These are the kind of companions that are there because there's something interesting about you or there's something pleasurable about you or it serves some kind of a purpose and it's convenient. See, when the storm hits, when the storm hits, uh, these kind of friends, you, well, you're no longer, there's not, you're no longer uh, pleasurable. There's nothing, you don't offer them anything. It's no longer convenient. It no longer serves a purpose and they're gone. And then when you're on the, keeping up with all these acquaintances all the time, you know, you, you get to see their perfect lives because that's what everyone puts up on Facebook and all their happy families and all their happy friends and you know what the reality is, but you know what the oppression is and you're not in on that. And so it makes you feel more lonely. You don't have it. You feel like you're missing it and you're on the outside. It reminds me of this proverb. Uh, Proverbs 18 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the implication is that a true friend is one who sticks closer to, than a brother. You can have a ton of acquaintances. That may be fun. It may be nice. But see, those aren't the friends that stick around when the storm hits. When the storm hits, the only kind of friend that really can minister to you to alleviate the sense of loneliness of what you're going through and being on the inside, the only kind of friend, and this is what a true friend is, is the one who sticks with you through thick and thin. Uh, even when your own brother, your own kin bail on you, the friend is there. And he's with you through thick and thin. So social media is good at attracting a lot of acquaintances. But be careful with that. Uh, it's not good at developing genuine friends, not usually. And we, in fact, have lost the art of friendship. What it is to be really meaningfully connected with, with, with other folks. And that's what we want to be addressing here in this series. And be facilitating in this series. Having deep, lasting, profound friendships that really make a difference. Another preliminary word here is this. Uh, most of us are aware of the research that shows that loneliness is detrimental to your mental health. I mean, there's just a lot of studies on this. Uh, it intensifies depression, intensifies anxiety to the degree that you're chronically lonely. Mental health issues that you, maybe are latent within you sometimes are intensified because of loneliness. Schizophrenia or, or bipolar disorder, any other number of things. Uh, loneliness is associated with early onset of Alzheimer's and dementia of various sorts. And so it, it, it wreaks havoc on our, our mental state. But there's increasing evidence that it also wreaks havoc on our physical state. This kind of surprised me. Um, in 2015, there was a study that showed that, that chronic loneliness, was a, there's a clear correlation between chronic loneliness and, and chronic inflammation uh, issues. And those who have autoimmune disease of some sort, you know uh, how damaging that uh, chronic inflammation can be. It's associated with all sorts of diseases, uh, strokes, cancer, chronic pain. There's a study in 2010, this really exhaustive study, that looked at the, the uh, research of 148 previous studies on the detrimental effects of loneliness and physical health. And their conclusion was that being lonely, suffering chronic loneliness, um, is, it has a detrimental effect on our body that's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Think about this. You're smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That means you're smoking 105 a week. It means you're smoking 450 a month. It means you're smoking 5,475 a year. That's not good for you. And that's the kind of detrimental effect that loneliness has when it's a chronic thing. 
What it shows, all that research shows, is that we were not meant, we were not created. It's not, it's not in our wiring to be alone. It's an unnatural state to be isolated. Um, in fact, the, the, the first negative word <coughs> said about humanity in the Bible comes from Genesis 2. And it's when the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. It's not natural. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We're made in the image of God. And we know that God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is love, and, 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 and love requires interpersonality, inter, interpersonal relationships. And God, although we can't comprehend this, God, there's one God, but that God has interpersonal relationship. Because God is love. Loving relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're made in the image of that God. Which means relationality is as essential to us as it is to God. God can't stop being triune, and we can't stop being relational. We're made for friends. We're, 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 we're made to be known and to know others. We're, we're, we're made to be loved and to love others, to ex be accepted and to accept others. That's what a friend is. We're made to give help and to receive help, to encourage others and to be encouraged, to, be, to challenge others and to be challenged. That's what a friend is. We're created to have our life be woven into the life of others in significant ways that make a difference. And that mirrors the love and the friendship of the triune God. So in this series, and when we don't have that, <coughs> excuse me, when we don't have it, it just wreaks havoc on our mind, on our bodies, and as we'll see in this series, it wreaks havoc on our souls. It's, it's detrimental to our souls, our, our relationship with God. So in this series, we'll address this epidemic of, of loneliness. We'll explore what the Bible has to say about this and, and what church history has to say about this, especially what it has to say about the role that friendships play in growing in the kingdom and growing spiritually. This is what in the church tradition has been called spiritual friendships. Uh, as kingdom people, people who are followers of Jesus, um, our, 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 our job is to always be seeking first the kingdom. Jesus teaches us that, Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom. And to be doing that in everything we do. And to be doing that in all of our relationships. And so uh, the purpose of our friendships isn't just to alleviate loneliness, though that may be the thing that kind of drives us into it. But from a kingdom perspective, the purpose of friendships is to help one another live out the kingdom and to grow in the kingdom. And the church tradition has seen that it's impossible, according to many authors in the church tradition, it's impossible to become all you can be for God unless you're doing it in partnership with others, unless there's significant friendships in the mix. So we'll be uh, unpacking all that as this series unfolds. For the rest of this morning, I, I want to talk about um, the most important friendship that we could possibly cultivate with the best friend we could possibly have, and uh, the one that we are to lean on the most <coughs> when it comes to uh, alleviating, trying to alleviate that sense of loneliness that we, that we might have. And when it comes to growing in the kingdom, we lean on this friend more than any, anyone else. And the one I'm talking about, of course, is God. So the title of this message is Friendship with God. And to have friendship with God is to have friendship with Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate. And Jesus is the one in whom our friendship with God is established. So it's friendship with God. I want to start with, with uh, looking at John chapter 15, something Jesus said to his disciples. <coughs> Verses 13 through 16. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. No longer that. But the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But in contrast to that, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, 
I have made known to you. Okay, Lord, open our eyes and ears to receive this word. I've got a question I want to address about this passage, and then I've got two observations about this passage I'd like to make. The first is, is, is this. What is up? Here's the question. What is up with this, if you obey all that I command you to? You're my friend. Friends, if you do what I command you. Um, that doesn't sound very friendly, frankly, if I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, how would you like it if I came up to you and said, hey, you know, would you be my friend? And you go, oh, yeah, I'd love to be your friend. And then I go, okay, just do everything I tell you to. Uh, who gets excited about that kind of a friendship? In fact, that, that kind of talk, you're my friend if, I command, if you do everything I tell you to, that sounds more like a master-servant relationship. That's the way masters talk to servants. It's not the way friends talk with friends. So what's up with this? Jesus can't be meaning that, that you're my friend on condition that you, 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 you carry out my commands because that would put him right into the master-servant kind of relationship. It's, it's you obey or else. But that's not the way friends talk. So I don't think that's what Jesus can mean here. On top of that, the New Testament makes it very clear over and over in a myriad of different ways that our relationship with God, our standing with God, isn't based on what we do. It's based on what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. Uh, your standing before God isn't based on, on, on what you've accomplished and how smart you are, how religious you are, or, or whatever. No, it's based on the unfathomable love and grace of God that flows to us from Calvary, praise God. Our standing with God is by grace, not by works, lest anyone should brag about it. So, so, you know, when you understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, you understand that that is what gives you unsurpassable worth. We talk about that all the time here. He paid an unsurpassable price for you. He couldn't have gone further in order to reveal his friendship with you, his love for you. And... Uh, um, uh, and, and so that means that our worth is unsurpassable. Which, if you think about it, means that there's nothing you're ever going to do, however great it may be, that's going to add to your worth before God. You can't add to it. And you can't subtract from it. You have it not because of some internal merit of yours, but because of who God is and what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you get that, that, that your worth is established, it's settled, and it's unsurpassable, and you can't add to it, it will collapse in your brain all achievement motivation. And that's a very important thing to do. So you're no longer trying to you know, do something to impress God or to get points with God or something. You collapse that. And once you collapse this, this achievement motivation, which a lot of us maybe have and don't realize it, but when you collapse that, then you collapse your judgment mechanisms. Because all of our judgments are based on evaluations and, 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 and achievements and who's got more and less. And we do this. Once you collapse this and your worth is settled, now you're able to look at the world with non judgmental eyes, which means you're now able to look at the world through the eyes of love, which is what God calls us, how He calls us to be looking at the world. Not through judgment, but, but through love. So, so everything we do in the kingdom. Uh, is to be done not to acquire a worth that we don't have, but to express the worth that we already have. Amen? Uh, it, it, we don't try to become something that we aren't already, but we try to manifest who we truly are. That's our motivation for doing what we do in the kingdom. Uh, it doesn't add to your worth. It just expresses it. So then, then what, if, if, what is up with this if that Jesus is giving you, if you obey all my commands? There's a straightforward answer, but it requires just a little bit of knowledge about Greek grammar. In Greek, specifically the kind of Greek that we find in the New Testament, it's called koine or common Greek. Um, and this is a little bit true in English, though we don't talk this way much anymore. But there's two different kinds of ifs. You have an if that is a condition. 
But there's also this if that is a consequence. It's called a consequential if, or I, I think a better term is a descriptive if. An example of the first, a conditional if, is if you had like a track coach who is uh, telling uh, his runner, hey, if, if you qualify in the top, if you, if you make it in the top three in this heat, you'll go on to finals. Getting, finishing in the top three in this heat is the precondition for going on to the finals. That's a conditional if. A descriptive if would be something like if there's a sergeant, military sergeant talking to a room of new recruits, and the sergeant says, you are a true American soldier if you love your country and represent the country well and are willing to be brave on behalf of your country. You're a true soldier if you stand proud and hold your head high and blah, 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 blah. He's not giving a formal precondition for them being American soldiers. Already been, they've already been recruited. But he's giving a description of what it looks like, in his opinion, if you're a good American soldier. It's a descriptive if, not a conditional if. Now, in that light, I agree with those scholars who, who contend that Jesus is here giving a descriptive if, not a conditional if. He's not saying that you're my friends on the condition that you comply with all my instructions. Like, if you miss one instruction, now you're out. That's more of a master-servant kind of a, a, of a mindset. But he is saying that if we are friends, one mark of that will be that you'll be obeying my commands. That's one mark of it. Friendship with Jesus isn't some kind of reward we get for complying with his teachings. It's just what following Jesus looks like. It's a benefit we, we, we have. It comes out of our relationship. You might say it this way, that, that in friendship with Jesus, everything we do comes out of our relationship, a friendship with, with Jesus. It's not given to us as a precondition for entering into that friendship. That has been given to us on the cross. Okay, so that addresses this question. Uh, what did Jesus mean by that if? And this leads to my two observations. First, notice here that Jesus contrasts being a servant with being a friend. No longer do I call you a servant, now I'm calling you a friend. And the proof that he is now transitioning to a friendship mode as opposed to a servant mode is that he's, he's inviting them in on the Father's business. He says, I, everything I hear from the Father, I share with you. He lets them inside on the Father's plans. Because see, that's what a friend does. A friend is someone who invites you on the inside. A friend is someone who shares with you what, what they're doing in the world, uh, what their concerns are, what their interests are, what their plans and hopes and dreams are. The lady on the inside. A, a master doesn't do that with a servant. The master just says, servant, do this. And the implicit subtext is, or else. But see, Jesus doesn't just say, do this, and do it out of sheer authority. He lets us in on the Father's plans and what's going on in the world. Friends speak out of a relationship, whereas masters speak out of authority, sheer authority. And what we're seeing here is God wants this friendship relationship with us. We're on the inside and partnering with him on the plans and schemes that he's got going on into this world. That's my first observation. Here's the second one. By saying that I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends, Jesus is showing us that being a friend of Jesus is a more mature relationship with him than being a servant. In fact, in the church tradition, being a friend of God for many, it was considered the highest form of relationship there is. And it makes sense. Because, look, if you consider the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, there's no master-servant relationship there. There's just friendship. I could put it like that. In fact, the, the phrase that was used sometimes in the Middle Ages is, you know, instead of God is love, they would say God is friendship. Because friendship in their model was the highest form of love you could have. We tend to think of the marriage couple as being the highest form that you could have. And hopefully it is because you should be friends. But it's the friendship that in their mind constitutes the, that's real love. So God is friendship. 
If that's true, then we are most godly when we're relating to God as friend. We're not in line with, with who God is when we're, when we're relating to him as a master servant. So we grow into, we grow out of a servant mindset into this friendship model with God. And um, it's, it, it, it's completely transformative. Of course, we, we, I think what's interesting about that is we often, I think, at least we tend to think the opposite. We identify friendship with Jesus as sort of a child's way of relating to God. Because you want a nice, safe, buddy, you know, Jesus for the kids and all that. So you introduce them to Jesus' friend. But when you grow up, you learn that life is serious. And, and living out the kingdom is about serving. And it's about sacrifices and discipleship. And submitting everything to God. And it's true that walking with God and being a representative of the kingdom does involve sacrifice and, and, and submission and uh, discipleship and all the rest. That's very, very true. See, what Jesus is telling us here, though, is, is that, yes, you... We're to do all those things, but we're not to do it with a servant mindset. We're not to do it with the mindset of, well, the authority has spoken, so I've got to do this as a duty or else. Rather, he wants us to enter into this and be motivated by the friendship we have with God, the love we have with God, the fellowship that we have with God. It flows out of that. So God calls us from this servant mindset into this friendship mindset. In fact, you find in different ways God calling his people towards this, even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we find a lot of depictions of God where he is the master and his people are the servants. That was the kind of dominant way that people thought about God in ancient Israel. You have a few times, but only a few times, where people are called friends of God. Uh, Abraham uh, was considered a friend of God. Moses spoke with, uh, with God like a friend. But they're few and far between, between. On the whole, people tended to see God as, as the master and they are, they are the servants. And that's not surprising. Because throughout the ancient Near Eastern world, which is the culture that the Israelites are embedded in, that's how everyone saw the relationship with God or the gods. In fact, there's a number of creation uh, uh, myths in these ancient cultures where they depict human beings as being created by the gods to be their slaves. And so human beings were the slaves of the gods. That was a common understanding here. Now that improves when we come to Israel because the spirit of God is always working to push people in the direction of truth. So it's a master-servant relationship. We're not just slaves. But it still is the kind of dominant paradigm there. And see, since God is a non-coercive God who doesn't turn people into robots, will not lobotomize them, will not force their thinking to be aligned with truth, since that's the case, God has to accept people as they are with their false conceptions of him, and he works within those false conceptions to lead them towards truth. That's the way he stays engaged in this. This is the God of the cross who meets us exactly where we're at. And we, we see God doing that kind of cross work, taking on the, the sin of people and then taking on the image that, that represents the ugliness of that sin. You find him doing that throughout the Old Testament. But here and there, you find the Spirit of God breaking through to reveal what God's true desire is, the direction that God wants to be heading. And that's where we learn that this master-servant relationship, even in the Old Testament, wasn't the ideal. That, that's an accommodation. For example, we read this in Hosea uh, chapter 2. It says, On that day, the Lord says, You will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Even this Old Testament, the Lord is revealing, like, I'm looking forward to the time when we get off this master-servant thing because this isn't really what I want. Uh, there will come a point where you'll call me husband, I'll call you bride, and that will be our relationship. Now, in the ancient world, if, that is less radical than calling friend. 
because the wife in those days was pretty much of a servant. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a step forward in terms of intimacy and commitment. And, and, and what the Lord's saying is, I'm looking forward to a time when my people will carry out my will on earth as it is in heaven, but they'll do it not out of fear, not out of just a sheer obligation, not just because I said so, but out, out of a love relationship with me, out of this friendship with, with me, of the husband-wife relationship with me. He's showing the direction that he wants to be uh, drawing people, where they're, they're motivated not just by him being the master and, and, and the authority that they have to obey, but rather they, they love him and have a friendship with him. And see, that's, this is what's being fulfilled in Jesus. No longer am I calling you servants, I'm calling you friends. Now, we still serve the Lord. In that sense, he has capacity of master, but, but, but you see, we're not motivated by fear, we're motivated by friendship. And the way Jesus motivates us First of all, he lays down his life for us. Greater, no greater love than the person has than this. I lay down my life for you. I, lay down, I call you friends. He proves that he's a friend of us and considers us friends by laying down his life for us. And that motivates us then to reciprocate and out of gratitude, uh, do the same with him. Um, Jesus motivates us by, by, by then letting us know what the Father's business is. He invites us as friends to be on the inside workings here, to know what God's up to in this world. He gives us a big picture of, 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 of what's going on here, to show us how, why it's important for us to be living this way and carrying out these instructions. He doesn't just say like a master does to a servant, go and do it, put up and shut up. No, he invites us in. He, here's why. Here's what I'm doing in this world. Here's what's going on here. Even though he doesn't use the term friend, we find a good illustration of this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth here. And in this context, uh, people were questioning why Paul would set aside this cushy, nice job he had as a Pharisee and embark on a life of hardship as a, as a church planner in the kingdom. Why would anyone do that? And some people thought he was just crazy. So here's what Paul says in reply. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, well, it's for God. We're crazy for God is what he's saying. But if we're in our right mind, which Paul thinks we are, it is for you. We know what we're doing. There's a reason for, for, for why I did what I did. Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. That word there means constraint. It doesn't mean control. Some people translate it that way, but God doesn't control, micro-control. But it's, it, it's, it shows a strong sense of compulsion. We're just compelled. We can hardly do otherwise, given the fact that Christ's love is what it is. And then he adds, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but should live for uh, him who died for them and was raised again. And then four verses later, he sums it up by saying, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So why did Paul make all these sacrifices? Give up that cushy job, and he's jailed a couple times, he's riots capped, and he's beaten, he's thrown into prison, and all the rest, shipwrecked. Why did he do that? It wasn't because he was a servant trying to impress his master, let alone a servant who's just trying to avoid the wrath of his master. No, he was compelled by the love of Christ, the love that Christ showed towards him, and the love that he has for Christ because of that, that, that motivated him, moved him on. And because he was a friend of, of, of God, he was led on the inside of what God's doing in this world. What, what's, what, 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 what's God up to? He was led in on the Father's business. And so part of learning what God's up to in this world is he learned that if one died for all, therefore all have died. 
That's what God's doing in this world. Um, in some sense, everything that is old, like everything that stood in the way between us and God has, has been removed. And that's why he goes on to say that God's not holding anyone's trespasses against them. The sin question has been removed on Calvary. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2, another one of my favorite verses that, he says that, 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 that uh, when Christ was crucified, everything that was written against us, everything the enemy had on us that could condemn us, indict us, shame us, uh, everything that stood between us and God, and this is true for all of humanity, it was nailed to the cross and it was obliterated. Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It was answered. It was answered. Of course it was answered. Because God's not holding anyone's trespasses against them. And because Paul is on the inside of what God's doing in this world, he's a friend of God who's lit in on the Father's secrets. He knows that as, as friends, we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to represent God's character and the interests of the kingdom wherever we go. And as ambassadors, he understands that we can be the means by which people come to know the truth. They, they, they discover the realization that God's not holding anything against them. And to discover the realization that all the old stuff they're hanging on to that's making their life miserable, they can let go of because it was taken care of on, on Calvary. And, and the beauty of that good news that he gets to know and participate in was part of what motivated him. I get to partner with my friend. Uh, I get to partner with God in order to bring out his will on earth as it is in heaven. But his motivation isn't servant, servanthood. His motivation is love. He's compelled by the love of God. And friends, that's exactly the kind of relationship that God wants with every one of us. That's not a super Apostle Paul thing. That's a common Joe, follow Jesus thing. We're all called to be ambassadors, to know and to participate in our friends, what our friends doing in this world, to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it, that when, you, when we begin to understand God as friend, and that that's the highest form, the most mature kind of relationship we can have with God, I, I just find it reframes everything. Never more so than this week as I've been preparing for this message. Uh, you know, we, we've got a ton of titles of Christ and of God in Scripture. And every one of them, evokes something different in us. Kind of evokes a, a, a different—it can vary from individual to individual. But for example, uh, we know that Christ is Lord of all, and Christ is King of all. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And we know that he's the creator of all. And that's all perfectly true and wonderful and needs to be celebrated. But see, if that's all we had to go on, you knew that Christ was the, the, the Lord and the King and the creator, that, that could engender a, a servant mindset. Because you just obey kings, you just obey lords. And if he's the creator, he owns all, so you've got to submit all to him. And that's, that's absolutely true. He is lord of lords, king of kings. He, he owns all. He has a right to all. And we need to be submitting everything to him. But see, that could easily lead. If that's all you knew about, about God, that would lead to a, 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 a servant mindset. It'd be hard to feel compelled by the love of God and, and compelled by the beauty of the good news that you have to share if that's all you knew about Christ. He's king, he's lord, he's creator. But how things change if you remember that God is first and foremost our friend. The Lord of Lords and King of Kings is our friend. The creator of all is our friend. It just nuances it differently. The Lord of all, the creator of all, the King of all. He's a friend who, who knows you and who loves you as you are. Just as you are. Because that's what true friends do. He's, he's, a, he's a friend. The Lord of Lords and King of Kings and creator of all is a friend who will never leave you or forsake you. He promises you that. Because that's what a true friend is. The Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's interested in what you're interested in and he's concerned with what you're concerned with, even if it's trivial because that's what friends do. He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But he's always on your side and he wants the best for you because that's what friends do. He wants to help you, inspire you, and to heal you, and to lead you, and to grow you. 
And this friend of ours, this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he loves us too much to leave us staying where we're at. So he's always encouraging us, motivating us, influencing us to be moving in a certain direction that he knows is the best for us. He's a friend who calls out the best in us. He wants us to be the best version of ourselves we can possibly be, which we know is always looking in, in, in the direction of Christ-likeness. Because that, that's what a good kingdom friend does. He's a friend who invites us on the inside of what he's doing in this world so we know it and we can participate in it. And we get to share in the joy of this participation. So we are all friends of the king. We're all friends of the king because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're all called to carry out his will, to carry it out for the right reasons, out of love, out of friendship, out of partnership with God. In the ancient Near East, they, they, they actually had a, uh, in, in most of the, the, the nations that comprised the ancient Near East, there was a position in the court of the king that was called a friend of the king. A friend of the king. And this friend of the king was usually the best friend of the king before the king was king. His best friend. Because he wanted somebody, this is the person that's going to be his ultimate confidant, his ultimate friend, someone he lets on the inside of what's going on in the kingdom and, 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 and discusses it with him. And this friend then was also called to then participate, however the king wanted, to participate in carrying out the job of the kingdom. Uh, the friend of the king often was the one chosen to represent the king, to carry out the interests of the king uh, to a, another uh, emissary or any kind of meeting, because he could trust this person to do it well. Represent my character, my interest to, to the, these other nations. Um, and sometimes this king would have special plans that, that he had to rely on someone he completely trusted to carry out. And this person did this. But he did this not out of just the authority of this person being his king, but because he was his friend. And even kings need to kick back once in a while. So when there came a time for the king to take the crown off and just to hang out, this is the friend he would hang out with, kick back with. He, they enjoy each other's company. And it's out of that center of friendship and that enjoyment that now this friend would carry out the king's bidding. He's carrying out the bidding of the king, but not just because he's king, but because he loves this guy. And he's in relationship with this guy. That's the relationship we have with Abba Father. He runs the universe. Let him run the universe, okay? He holds all things in the palm of hands. Let him do that. But we also got to know that this transcendent God comes down to our level and wants to be our intimate friend. He knows us exactly how we can trust him with everything. He knows us exactly as we are, and yet, as is true with any friend, there shouldn't be a shame about that. Um, no, there's just maybe an invitation to help and grow in that, but that's the kind of friend that we have in Jesus. It, it, I just find it reframes everything. So, I, I, I take my dog out for a walk almost every morning, and um, uh, when I do that, I often will, will meditate on a verse I shared last week, Acts 17 where it says that in him we live and move and have our being. In God we live and move and have our being because he's not far from any of us. And I just like to meditate on that as I'm walking the dog. And sometimes I feel led to pray for neighbors and things like that, but it's kind of a mantra. And I just like to see, God is my environment. Wherever I'm going, I'm swimming through an ocean of, of, of God's love. But this week, as I'm thinking about this message, I, I, I altered that just a little bit. And, and the, the word that I would recite over and over again is that, in God my friend... I live and move and have my being. And God, my friend. And that just brings a dimension of intimacy that wasn't there before. It's cool to think about, I live in God. I move, everything I do, I do in, in the context of God. But when you remember that God is your friend. Who sticks closer than a brother. God is a friend who's invited you on the inside. God is a friend who loves you and wants your life to be significant. Has the, your best interests always in mind. It just reframes everything. 
I think what we forget is that you know, God is transcendent, Lord of lords, King of kings, creator of all things. He's, he's incomprehensibly beyond anything we can imagine. But as awesome and as intense as God's transcendence is, it's equally awesome and intense that God is this close. He comes as close to us as he is beyond us, if I can put it like that. But I think a lot of people have a, are more comfortable with the God who's beyond us than the God who comes close to us. In fact, there's some theologians who think that it's dishonoring to the sovereignty of God to think that God is your friend. And they actually argue against this. But see, it augments the glory of God when we realize that as much out there as he is, that's how much he's in here. The incarnation is about, all about how this transcendent God comes so close to us, he wants to be our friend. Sometimes I think people are more comfortable working for an employer than they are getting intimate with a friend. Uh, they rather this master-servant relationship because that's, then you just got to obey the rules and you're okay. But see, friendships take time and you have to cultivate and you invite in and they invite you in and, and there's a sharing and growing. And folks, that is the relationship that God wants with each and every one of us. Be cultivating that friendship. It reframes everything. So I want to end with this exercise, okay? Little imaginative exercise. Holy Spirit, uh, guide us as we do this and Lord, make it something that's significant, powerful. I want everybody right now whether you're a congregation or part of the congregation, uh, to imagine your best friend. Who's your best friend? It may be a present person. It may be a, a person in the past. And if you've never had a best friend, someone you consider that, imagine one. Uh, it, it, it just, it, what would a best friend look like? And get a clear conception of this person, an image of this person. Think about this. And I want you to pay attention to what you feel towards this best friend. And why you feel this way. How this friend was trustworthy and this friend accepts you and loves you. You always know that even if this friend challenges you, they're doing it out of love. Get that clear conception of that friendship there. And notice what you feel. There's often a warmth there when you're with a friend, a true friend. There's an enjoyment there. Friends like to hang out. So just, just sit in that for a second. Savor that friendship. If it's still going on, thank God for that friendship. But now I want you to take all that feeling that you have as you're imagining this best friend of yours, and would you simply now replace your best friend with Jesus? And can you begin to have the same emotions that you have with your earthly best friend? Can you have that with Jesus? Because the truth is, Jesus, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, but he also is friends of friends. Uh, he is the best friend you could have. Remember that however wonderful this earthly friend has been, and thank God for that, but Jesus is better. However trustworthy they've been, Jesus is better. Uh, however empathetic they are, Jesus is more so. However selfless and gracious they've been to you, Jesus is more so. In Jesus, God becomes the best friend you could ever imagine. Without stopping being Lord of Lords and King of Kings and Creator of the universe and sovereign and all that, He is your friend. And like this, and this friend is the one in whom you live and move and have your being. What a great arrangement. Wherever you go, in every moment of your life, your best friend, the one we should lean to the most when it comes to alleviating our loneliness, when it comes to uh, growing in the kingdom, uh, He's always with us. And it's good for us to imagine that sometimes. Jesus isn't above going shopping with you. He likes, he's a friend. He likes to go shopping with you. Include him in your shopping. And, and, and when you're going about your business, remember that your friend is always there. 
And this friend wants to let you in on the father's business. It may be that this friend would, would, would tell you, hey, you know what? There's a person over there that really could use uh, you know, an encouraging word right now. Well, you go over there. And if you're listening, you feel an impulse. And you, see, this is what you're partnering with God to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the kind of relationship he wants to us. In the end, folks, this is the friend that we should go to to get all of our life and all of our worth, all of our significance, all of our deepest needs are met out of our friendship with God in the person of Jesus Christ. So this week, here's your assignment. I, I want you to be cultivating this every day. Whatever you're thinking about God, reframe it as he's also a friend. Yes, God is sovereign Lord, blah, blah, blah. But he's, he's also your very best friend. And try to cultivate an awareness that in your friend, you live and move and have your being. Wherever you're going, your best friend is with you. Be in dialogue with him and start cultivating that. If something really opens up and, and, and God does something great, and you got a story, time to testify. Just come and send it to us. And, and uh, uh, God wants to use that to build faith with others, to inspire the imagination of others, to encourage others, and sometimes to convict others. Let God use your, your story. What a friend we have in Jesus, amen? God's your best friend. Okay, so if you need prayer, you have any need uh, that could uh, be addressed with prayer, and if you have a need, I think it could be addressed with prayer. Um, if you're in the auditorium, our prayer teams will be up front. If you're online, uh, go to the app or the, the website, and you can uh, join the prayer team that way. Don't forget that on Tuesdays at 4.30, we have the MuseCast, where they go deeper with the sermon. And then we've got these beautiful gathering groups that, that, that meet throughout the week. And so I encourage folks to get involved in that. And they also discuss the message and go deeper with it. And sometimes you develop really cool friendships in, in these things. Uh, what else am I supposed to do? If, if you're going to have your uh, kids at our children's church, uh, please remember to register ahead of time so we know how many people to, to, to have back there. And finally, so I've already reminded you about the stories, Finally, it's time to go eat. So Lord, bless this fellowship that we have together. Uh, those who are, are here, and uh, Lord, just bless the food and those who have prepared it. And let this be a really great bonding time that we have together, celebrating all that you have done uh, at Wilderness Church. We give you all the credit, all the praise, all the glory in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming. See you out in the gathering, out on the lawn, and let's eat.